Welcome to episode 111 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, hiking and backpacking go together like Lewis and Clark. But is it okay to have a day in the wilderness where you don't hike at all? Absolutely. For today's Summit Gear Review, a pack that is incredibly adaptable. Next, our backpack hack of the week is a soul-filling pot of beans that can only be made on a zero day. All this, and that's about it. Today, on the first 40 miles. Well, on my first backpacking trip, we hiked every single day of that trip. And each day we covered between six and 10 miles a day. It was a really intense trip, very challenging. But as I continued backpacking and going on more trips, I was introduced to the idea of a zero day. And this idea really appealed to me. A zero day is a day in which you don't move camp. It doesn't mean you necessarily go zero miles. It just means that you don't take down your tent and you kind of uh, keep your stuff in camp. But you can definitely go off and put on the miles, but you just end up coming back to your base camp that you've set up. Whenever I did multi-day trips uh, when I was in scouts, it was always that style of hiking every day and stopping at a new place every night to set up camp. And so when we did our Mount Hood trip, uh, you know, that seemed natural to me. That's what I had grown up doing in scouts. Start in the morning, hike all day. Uh, You know, by the time the last member of the group gets into camp, you've been on the trail literally the entire day, and you've just got time to make dinner, set up camp, and then start all over the next morning and do the same thing again. But as we took our family out on backpacking trips we realized that zero days were just a a really fulfilling part of a backpacking trip. Especially with family, you know, with kids, you look at all the effort that it takes to set up camp and then to take down camp and pack it into your packs. And even, even by yourself, but especially with a family, you could spend a significant portion of your day just setting up camp and breaking camp. And that's not really, to me, that's not really the most exciting part of a backpacking trip. So when we started doing family backpacking trips with zero days, it was really nice because we could set up camp and then the next morning we didn't have to break camp. I love that we're talking about zero days today because we got a call from the school district this morning saying school's canceled. So today is kind of a zero day for our family too. Our daughter is downstairs making gingerbread cookies. All three of our boys are outside building a snowman, which for some reason they put right in the middle of the road. I think they're moving it right now. (laughs) But um, zero days just kind of, they let you breathe a little bit. Today's a perfect example, even though we're not on a backpacking trip, it's still a zero day of sorts, and we do different things on zero days. Well, today's not a zero day for me or for you, <laughs> so we're still we doing our no usual zero stuff. Days. <laughs> but our kids are doing different things. They're doing right. things they don't do on the typical day um, because of that extra time they have, and, and just the, I don't know, it gets you out of the rut, out of the routine. Yeah. 
through hikers really treasure their zero days because that's the day where they get to do laundry, they go into town and stock up on calories, maybe they'll pick up a package. So zero days are really great for them. But there's something else that's kind of in the middle, you know, between doing the pounding out the miles and taking a zero day. And that's called a Nero day, which is nearly a zero day. So you might hike a few miles, but uh, most of the day is spent doing something else besides hiking. And I guess for a through hiker, a Nero day might make sense where they break camp and they go into town and they spend the night in town. Otherwise, I think a Nero day is kind of, I don't know, I mean, you'd have to break camp and then you only hike for a little bit and then you've still got to set up camp again. And so you didn't really save yourself a lot of time, even though you did less hiking. Yeah, so zero days are really... Where it's at. Where it's at. <laughs> Groovy. <laughs> so if you do decide to incorporate a zero day into your next backpacking trip, and all you want to do is just stay in your tent and stare out the mesh window, that is totally fine. But if you're wondering what else you can do while you're in the wilderness, we have a top five list for you today. The top five types of activities for your zero day. The number one type of activity for your zero day is active recreation. So this could be things like swimming, exploring, hiking, but leaving your pack back in camp. You could do some peak bagging and just kind of generally getting to know the lay of the land, kind of creating that cognitive map, especially if it's a place that you want to return to and you kind of want to get to know that area really well. Active recreation is a great way to really kind of sink your roots into that area and get to know it. Active recreation is my favorite thing to do on zero days. Like that's where I spend my time right there. When we did our Oregon coast trip uh, this past summer, we actually camped about a mile away from the ocean next to a lake called Three Mile Lake. So on our zero day, I took a hike out to the ocean and back, just explored out there. Active recreation options are really important, especially if you are hiking with a mixed group, because if everyone wants to take a zero day and you are kind of more like Josh and you just want to still pound out the miles and explore and create that map in your head, then having things to go explore is a really important element of your zero day. The number two type of activity for your zero day is passive recreation. And this is going to appeal to a lot of people because this is the type of thing that you just dream about doing on your zero day. Resting, wandering, soaking, hammocking, elevating your feet or soaking your feet in a creek, or just picking up a rock and skipping it across the lake. These are the things that we think of when we imagine just doing nothing on an outdoor adventure. And I guess even though this sounds like a dream vacation, I can only handle so much rest and elevating my feet and, you know, soaking my feet in a creek. I have other things that I want to do on backpacking trips. So, you know, this is something that I would definitely put into the mix on my zero day, but it's not going to take up the bulk of my zero day. Yeah, I agree with that. It's amazing how a little bit of rest goes a long way. There have been some trips uh, on zero days where I've just taken a nap in the afternoon. And yeah, it might be only an hour. It really doesn't take much of my day. And, but it feels so refreshing. And, and after that hour, I'm, I'm all rested up and I'm ready to be active again. The number three type of activity for your zero day is housekeeping. 
And I know we go on these trips to get away from the routine, the rut, the chores at home, all those things that are kind of that we have to do at home. But housekeeping is something that you still have to do on trips. And this is actually probably more likely to happen on longer trips, not weekenders. So laundry, gear repair, knife sharpening, injury management, uh, cleaning out your pack, or kind of resorting your gear, especially if it's a much longer trip, you're going to kind of need to shift things around more. Housekeeping is definitely something that you can include in your zero day. It's not going to take up a lot of time, but it will make the rest of your trip so much more enjoyable if you can just take care of a few of those things and then focus on hiking for the rest of the trip. Housekeeping, I think, is one of those things where if you're going to go on a trip that's, you know, four or five days or longer, you'll probably need to carve out a little bit of time for housekeeping, at least to wash a pair of socks, some underwear, maybe kind of clean things out or compress your trash a little bit. But for short trips, don't even worry about it. The number four type of activity for your zero day is personal enrichment. And this is the one that I have a big gold star next to because I love this kind of stuff. So journaling, painting, goal setting, reading, listening to podcasts, writing, sketching, talking, doing some kind of a mind puzzle or even, you know, like a crossword puzzle or Sudoku. I love stuff like that. And I could spend the whole day doing this geeky stuff. I suppose my photography habit would... uh fit in well here. Oh, I, totally. I do a lot of that on zero days, just wandering around trying to capture the essence of the place that we're in. And our daughter just likes to sit and read a book or listen to a book on tape. I think a lot of our trail wisdom quotes that we use at the end of the show are probably something that someone wrote because they took time for personal enrichment while they were outside. The number five type of activities for your zero day is campsite projects. And this is number two on my personal list after active recreation. You know, I, I do a lot of exploring, but when I'm around camp, I love getting into those projects. So I might pull out the rope and do some little pioneering projects, try to build a stool or a table or something. And our kids, you know, if we have a campfire, they just love to tend to the campfire, finding little bits of wood to put in it. And last summer on our Oregon coast trip, they had a bunch of fun weaving, I guess, a raft. Yeah, they did. They weaved a raft. <laughs> they found some reeds or whatever, you know, th that were growing in, in the marsh area and weaved a few of them together and made this green raft that, I mean, it couldn't float with a kid sitting on it, but they put something on it and kind of sent it out into the lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where we were like, oh, wait. We're supposed to be practicing leave no trace, but there goes the raft. Goodbye, raft. And it kept <laughs> floating away. It was really impressive. So it's probably still out there floating on the lake. I don't think those reeds really uh, decompose very quickly. So, yeah, if you head out to Three Mile Lake and you see a raft, that's... It's our fault. It's our fault. <laughs> well, I have never heard the phrase, I'm bored, from anyone out in the woods. I watch what our kids do, I watch what we do and what other people do, and it's all so interesting outside. It's like being in the Museum of Natural History, except where you can touch everything. I mean, you can pick up any rock that you see, you can watch any animal, you can touch the bark, you can smell the campfire. Everything out there is like a living 
museum. It's so much fun. And having a zero day to just kind of soak it all up and enjoy every little bit of it is, I think, just one of those wonderful treats that you can start incorporating into your backpacking trips. For today's Summit Gear review, we will be reviewing the Gregory Zulu 55 pack. The Gregory Zulu 55 really is a feature-rich pack, and I would say this pack is probably a direct contrast to the Hyperlite Mountain Gear pack that we reviewed in episode 91. That was a minimalist pack, but the Gregory Zulu is probably on the other end of the spectrum. It has tons of features, more than we can fit in this tiny little podcast. (laughs) So we're just going to focus on the real standout features that may resonate with our first 40 milers and give you guys an idea of what this pack is all about. Before we jump in, I just want to mention the Gregory Baltoro is kind of their top of the line pack. It's huge and it's got all the bells and whistles. The Zulu 55 is a smaller pack that's still got a whole lot of the bells and whistles. Actually, does it have a whistle? Well, as a matter of fact, there's no whistle on this pack. No whistle. And no bells either. No bells, yeah, but a lot of packs come with a whistle on the sternum strap clip. Just by looking at this pack, I can tell that when the designers went to work, they had two things in mind, and that was suspension, comfort, and adaptability. There are cinch straps, loops everywhere, and there's 15 ways to tighten or loosen the outside of the pack. Compared to other Gregory packs, the Gregory Zulu 55 is really much more streamlined and compact. It's definitely not as wide as other Gregory packs. It's much more slender, and I love that because the thing that I didn't like about Gregory packs in the past were that they were so wide, and some people love that, but this is more, the Gregory Zulu is more kind of what I was hoping Gregory packs would kind of, uh, kind of go toward. The body is 210 denier nylon. Its lining is 200 denier embossed polyester, just kind of cool looking, has a little embossed design on it. For suspension, this pack has an X frame, so that means that there are two pieces of steel that make the letter X right in the middle of your back, and they're five millimeter spring steel. And right below where the X crosses your back, there's a piece of foam that hits right against your lower back, which helps with the load bearing of your pack. This is important because when you wear a pack, you're not using your shoulders to shoulder the load. You should be using your hips. And so packs that have extra padding at the lower back or around the hips, it may add to the weight of the pack, but it actually adds to the comfort of the pack because most of your weight should be sitting on your hips or on your lower back, kind of that area. So all of that padding is going to make the ride so comfortable. So where that X frame is on your back, there's actually a piece of suspended mesh that kind of pushes against your back so that you have really great ventilation and you're not going to get that kind of sweaty hiker back from wearing something directly against your back. With the really beefy uh, waist suspension, however, you can get some sweating down there on your lower back where that 
really big foam pad area is. That's true. It would be nice if there were suspended mesh there. But yeah, it's yeah, you're going to be well foamed up around your hips and back. And that might be where you get a little bit of sweating. For utility, as far as compartments go, this has a massive brain. And the brain is usually the part of the pack that's the top lid. On this pack, it's not really removable. I guess you could cut the straps. But on a lot of packs that we've seen, the brain is removable. And that just adds to, um, you know, versatility. However, this brain is not removable. There are two water bottle holders on this pack. And the water bottle holders on the Zulu 55 are very deep. I think of uh, like a Nalgene bottle. These will completely contain a regular size Nalgene bottle. And even that super tall Nalgene silo water bottle that we reviewed a few months ago, I think it would fit pretty well in these water bottle pouches. They're that tall. Inside the pack, there are little toggles that hold a hydration sleeve, which also doubles as a day pack, which I think is brilliant. That was a really fun way to make something multi-use. This pack also has a removable rain cover, and there is a dedicated zipper pouch just for that rain cover. This is kind of an interesting pack because it's labeled as unisex. So the shape of the shoulder straps actually resemble more what you would see on a women's pack. It does not have an adjustable torso height. So the distance from the hip belt to the shoulder straps, you can't lengthen or shorten that. All you've got are the load adjusting tighteners at the top of the shoulder straps, you know, you can play with those. And then of course you can lengthen or shorten the shoulder straps themselves, but you can't change that torso height, which I think would be important if, if it's going to be worn by women as well as men. All over this pack, there are toggles, loops, cinch straps. So if you can't fit all of your gear inside, there are tons of places to strap it to the outside. It's called a 55 liter pack, but I'm sure you could fit more like 70 liters if you accessed all of the storage options on the outside of this pack. Yeah, I think you could. And then inside, there's even a zipper to nowhere. Ooh. I, I hadn't seen this before. Apparently, you've got one on your Osprey pack yeah. as well. Um, if you look inside the main compartment up near the top, there's a zipper. The zipper has no pull on it. Right, you know, so it's, it's like just... a backwards zipper. Right. But if you kind of fiddle with it with your finger, you can kind of open that zipper. Mm -hmm. And then you can stick your hand through to just the other side, like the outside of the pack. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere. And uh, you contacted Gregory and they just said it's either for manufacturing, for manufacturing or repair yeah. or something. It's just yeah, part of the it, process. It's exactly, yeah. So a lot of packs have this little zipper to nowhere or zipper to Narnia. It's a little mysterious zipper. Anyway, if you open all of the zippers and clips and everything on this pack, it looks like you took a pair of scissors to it. Yeah. There are access points everywhere into everything. I mean, you can get to the main compartment from, I think, like five different spots by opening different zippers. Yeah. So if you're one of those people that knows exactly where you packed everything and you keep everything in the same spot every single time, you can access any spot in your pack on the Gregory Zulu just because there's a zipper almost everywhere on this pack. As far as mass goes, the pack itself, without the rain cover and without the hydration sleeve, weighs 3 pounds 11 ounces. The rain cover by itself weighs 4.5 ounces, and that hydration sleeve slash removable day pack weighs 4.5 ounces also. 
So all total, the pack weighs four pounds, four ounces, which is one of the first times that we've ever reviewed something that weighed exactly what the manufacturer said it would weigh. So this is right on target for its advertised weight. I think that's pretty impressive. Cool. The pack does come in three different sizes, and you'll just need to know your torso length in order to match that to the right size. For maintenance, you'll just need to wash when needed in a bathtub that's filled with warm water and a little bit of unscented detergent. We had good luck reviving an old Gregory Diva last year, and in order to clean that pack, we used a clean toilet plunger. And it worked really well. So after you're done cleaning this pack, you'll just need to dry it completely in the garage or outside in the shade. And if you want to make sure that it dries completely, then you'll need to untighten all the belts and open up the pack as much as you can, just so the air circulates. For investment, the Gregory Zulu 55 is $199, which is just right in there with a whole bunch of other packs that are similar in terms of features and quality. So Josh, you took this pack on our last trip. Tell me what was your experience with it? That was the fall trip to Jefferson Park where it rained and rained and rained (laughs) after it snowed for a while. Yes. Well, I picked up my Deuter pack about two and a half years ago when I was getting back into backpacking. And I have backpacked with my Deuter and nothing but my Deuter since that time. It's a fairly minimalist pack. and It's not nearly as minimalist as the Hyperlite pack, but it's uh, tall and slender, has a couple compartments, a few smaller pouches on the outside, very few access points. And I've just grown so comfortable with that pack. You know, it's just become a part of me. And so this is the first trip where I handed my beloved Deuter off to one of our kids and I tried out the Gregory Zulu 55. And I noticed right away the huge number of access points, the huge number of zippers and clips and straps and, you know, all of that kind of adaptability that you talked about in terms of how you're going to carry your gear. I also noticed that it was wider and shorter than the Deuter that I was used to. And as you mentioned, particularly the lid. Uh, By the way, you called that the brain. That's the first, today's the first time I've heard it called a brain. (laughs) (laughs) But that lid of the pack was cavernous. I don't know how much stuff I could have fit into the lid. Of course, the problem with putting too much stuff in the lid is that it flops around all over the place, especially when you start to uh, unclip it, you know, to open your pack and it becomes pretty weighty and a little unwieldy. So I didn't put too much in the lid, but there was tons of room there. Both sides of the hip belt had pouches on them that were quite a bit larger than the pouches on my Deuter, so I had lots of room to carry the camera in one of the hip belt pockets. It was nice to have the integrated rain cover, so I didn't have to go buy a rain cover, and there was a spot to keep it in the pack just specially for the rain cover. And of course, for most of the trip, the rain cover spent its time covering the pack and not being stowed in its pouch. But I would say other than kind of getting used to the fact that it was wider and shorter and, and you know, kind of had these these cavernous pouches with multiple access points, uh, the suspension was very comfortable for me. It, it worked really well. I think I carried about 30 pounds on that trip, so it wasn't 
you know, heavily loaded, but probably about right for a 55 liter pack. And it performed really well on that trip and just seems extremely durable. I'm sure it's going to last a long time. I'm curious, how did you feel about the lumbar padding? Because it is extremely padded throughout the hips and the back. Is that different than your Deuter pack? It is. And you notice it when you put the pack on and you're like, wow, there is a big pad there right on my lower back. (laughs) So I did notice that. And like I said, that's the area that can get kind of sweaty because it doesn't have any channels in it or anything. It's just a big foam pad. uh, So it doesn't ventilate super well. But I didn't get sore on the trip, you know, on my hips or my lumbar. So it worked. Um, But I think it takes a little getting used to perhaps because it just feels different than what I was used to with my Deuter. Well, all in all, this pack is incredibly durable. It's built really well. It has tons of access points, and it's really designed to be incredibly comfortable. For today's backpack hack of the week, zero-day beans. And these are basically Boston baked beans. They're a little bit sweet, a little bit salty, have that uh, vinegary flavor. They're so, so good. So what you'll need for these zero-day beans is three cups of water, one cup of navy beans, some brown sugar, some mustard, some ketchup, and you can just bring mustard packets and ketchup packets, and some salt and pepper. And then here is the secret to making incredible beans on the trail. You'll need five tea light candles and a wind screen that you just make out of aluminum foil. Just fold it over a couple times so that it's a little bit sturdier. And an empty cat food can. And you can use your alcohol stove for this. Empty, of course. So you just turn your alcohol stove upside down and put your pot with the beans on top. So the empty can is just serving as a pedestal to raise your pot about an inch, inch and a half off the ground. That's it. Exactly. And then you light your tea light candles and you put them in a circle around your cat food can and you set your pot on top of the cat food can with just the water and the navy beans inside. You're going to add the other stuff after those have cooked. After you light the tea lights, you wait about an hour and then come back and check your tea lights because if one or two have blown out, you're going to want to relight those so that your beans can continue cooking. And I would say check back every hour or so. Um, This would be a good food to make if you're just going to stay in camp for the day and you can kind of check every hour or so while you're doing something else. After the beans have softened, then you can drain off a little bit of the water and add the brown sugar, add some mustard, add some ketchup and salt and pepper. And really all of this is to taste. So add the amount that tastes good to you, you know, around a quarter cup of brown sugar, two or three mustard packets, two or three ketchup packets. Those are really just kind of rough numbers. Whenever I make this at home, uh, I don't use a recipe. I just kind of squirt ketchup in, squirt mustard in, stir in some brown sugar. It's just kind of, I don't know, something that you make just kind of by taste. Okay, so the important ratio is three cups of water to one cup of navy beans. These are the dried beans, so Mm -hmm. they're going to be really calorie dense because they're dry, because they're not full of water. Right. (laughs) 
So three to one, water to navy beans. Uh, by the way, navy beans are those white colored beans. I always think they should be blue, navy blue, but they they're be. not. So <laughs> anyway, those white colored navy beans, three to one, and then just whatever you like for the brown sugar, the mustard, the ketchup, the salt, the pepper. And I think the important time frame also is uh, that the, the navy beans cooking in the water, they're going to go for about three hours over those tea light candles before you're ready to add the other stuff. This is a great recipe to add cheese to or even some bacon. Or if you wanted to add extra spice to it, you could. This is one of those infinitely adaptable recipes. So these beans are a great zero-day meal because they take very little of your own personal time to prep them, probably five or ten minutes, but they do need to sit in one place for three-plus hours while they cook. So that's perfect. If you're staying in camp all day, get it set up. That only takes a few minutes. Wait a few hours. Just check on it every hour or so. I think a freeze-dried meal maybe just can't quite give you what you're going to get with this amazing dinner that's actually cooked for three hours. And this might go without saying, but make sure that you have a lid for your pot so that curious squirrels don't end up eating your beans and beans just cook faster with a lid on. So if you try out zero-day beans and you love them and you want a couple other slow recipes, then check out the Trail Fuel cookbook where Heather included two other slow recipes, one for chili and one for split pea soup, which just... Oh, you know, getting something green on the trail. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing. So you can check out the Trail Fuel book at thefirst40miles.com slash trailfuelbook, uh, or just search for it on Amazon or iTunes. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Paul Dudley White. He said, a vigorous five-mile walk will do more good for an unhappy but otherwise healthy adult than all the medicine and psychology in the world. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Someone's running the garbage disposal downstairs. <laughs> oh, I think that's a good wrap. It's a wrap. Yep. <laughs> Wait, that's not the wrap. Different kind of wrap. <laughs>